I think I was in about junior high, give or take, my, and my brother's in high school, and we were at home during the summer. Parents were at work. Um, I, don't think I, told, I don't know if I told you my dad was this big, huge cop growing up. And, um, and so at, when they're off and we're kind of doing our own little thing in the daytime, and um, it's kind of later morning because when you're a junior high, you're sleeping as long as you can. You get up, you finally take a shower. So I'm in the shower, and all of a sudden, I'm just, I'm there, just <laughs> cleaning up. And all of a sudden, my brother comes running in to the bathroom, slams the door, and stands to the side of it, and he's holding my dad's off-duty gun. And I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh, crud, did someone break in? Because I'm really feeling vulnerable. (laughs) Hey, I got your back. I jump out and stand there butt naked with some shampoo. I mean, it's like, you shoot him in the face and I'll clean his hair. I mean, I don't know what I was thinking, but I'm I'm, I'm, I'm terrified. And I'm I'm like, what's going on? He goes, shh, quiet. He's just holding the gun. I'm like, okay, should I turn the water off? I mean, (laughs) what else? I go, what's going on? No joke. Dude, shut up. There's Mormons at the door. (laughs) 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 So there I'm I'm standing in the shower and I'm like, I'm sorry, what? What? No, shut up. There's Mormons at the door. I'm okay, let me me make sure I got this right. You ran in, got dad's gun. Run to the bathroom where there's no way out. I guess you're supposed to protect me from the Mormons. Have they changed their tactics? I mean, it's like, boom! They're all carrying semi-automatic weapons. I'm like, what's going on? He says, shut up. All of a sudden, I'm like, okay. He peeks out the door, and he's like, they're gone. I'm like, oh, thank the Lord for deliverance. I didn't know if I'd make it out of that one. The next morning, we're hanging, we're hanging with my parents. They're in their room. And all of a sudden, I, I, it just came out. I didn't mean to get them in trouble, but I said something like, dude, you remember yesterday when the Mormons came to the door and you grabbed dad's gun and came in the bathroom? My dad goes, excuse me. And I went, uh-oh. <laughs> my brother looks at me going, I'm going to kill you. Yeah, me and the Mormons. I get it, okay? <laughs> so I was like, my dad goes, Brian, we need, a, we need a minute with your brother. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> You're dead. And then I just, I walk out. I was like, I don't know why this is terrifying. I mean, they're dressed really nice. They knock on the door. They say nice things. I mean, it's not true, but it's like they say things and, and then they leave. I've never seen them get angry. And it's this fear that in his mind, it was like, it's huge. And that's kind of what happens to Elijah here. Guys, you got to picture what just happened. Seriously, he's watching the prophets of Baal and Asherah screaming out, cutting their bodies, trying to get this fake false god who's nothing to throw fire from heaven, which if you remember why, why would, why would Elijah pick fire from heaven? Because Baal's in charge of the weather. And it's also thought that people believe that Baal is the one who created lightning, that lightning was his weapon. So Elijah goes into his territory and says, okay, whichever God, and this should be easy for yours, will we'll set the altar on fire. For hours they're doing this and nothing happens. He prays for 13 seconds and fire falls from heaven, takes out the altar, licks up the water, and all of a sudden the prophets are killed. And all of a sudden you've got Elijah victorious. It was him against 850. And then you get to chapter 19. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. 
Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me, and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And then he was what? Afraid. And he arose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Let's do me a favor. Let's, let's pray together. God, I pray that you would bring things to our minds. The things that terrify us, the things that are the, the what-ifs, and maybe they're not even reality. Bring those things to our mind that you become bigger than those things. But then God, also for those who are just dealing with some seriously scary things, and it is reality, it's what they're facing. God, I pray that you would show them, reveal yourself in such a way tonight that they see the true reality of you compared to the reality of that fear. And that we all would be forever changed, wherever we are at, student, counselor, youth pastor, myself, Hume Lake staff, that we would all be blown away with who you are and that would affect our ability to trust you more than to fear the things that we face. So God, teach us as only we can. We pray this in your name. And everybody says, amen. amen. Verse three, back to verse three again. Notice this. Then he was afraid. He arose and ran for his life. He came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Now, guys, when I was looking at it this, this afternoon, I looked at that phrase. I was like, oh, why would you do that? Here's, here's why I think it is, because we're all kind of tempted when things get tough or we face some kind of fear. What do we do? We isolate ourselves. And a lot of it's because of this. When you, you ever notice at church, everyone is so happy because most of us are lying? That's like, hey, how you doing? Doing blessed. Blessed. I don't talk like that anywhere else. I'm blessed. It's like Easter Sunday. Everyone's all happy. It should be. That's resurrection day. But do you guys have like this little tradition? I get it. I know people have been doing it for centuries. It's just weird to me because I don't talk like this any other day. But when, as you're walking up to people, they're like, he is risen. And you say, he is risen indeed. Indeed. Indeed he has. We have this huge outreach at Easter, and there's so people that's at the Fairplex in our town, and, and they're coming up the escalator. This wasn't the first times I was there, and they're like, he is risen. And I'm like, he is risen indeed. He's risen. And I got tired of it. So all of a sudden, someone's coming up. He is risen. I'm like, heck yeah, he has. <laughs> heck yeah. It was one of the angrier old people in our church, and I thought that was not good. That wasn't good, because they didn't smile. They didn't laugh like you all did. It was like this look like, how dare you? I said, he is risen indeed. <laughs> so we're at church and we're always saying how great we feel and how great things are and how great everything is and everything I'm facing is so wonderful and God is the best and he's never failing me. And while you're hearing people saying that, you find yourself saying the same things. But here's the problem. When we just say that to each other constantly, we're not being real and raw and honest with each other. You think you suck and everybody else has their life together. And so we compare ourselves with people who are faking it just like we're faking it. We have no clue what's going on. So just by a show of hands, and we're not going to scream out our worst sin. I'm not going to ask you. Can you imagine? Hey, everyone right now on the count of three, say your worst sin. Don't, don't do that. But if I just say, how many of you, maybe the past six months, you faced something that's been pretty difficult. Anybody? Put your hands up. Wherever you're at. Now look around. Does it make you feel a little bit better that maybe you're not the only one? 
But we don't tell each other that. Why? Because we are so into pride that we have to make sure that everyone sees that we've got it all together. And so Elijah, in the time when he probably should have kept his servant with them, where he should have walked with them and had gone through the journey with them, he isolates himself. And so can I encourage you with something? When you're going through it, when it's that thing that is so terrifying, run to your community. I mean, be honest in your youth groups, be honest in your churches, and don't go through it alone. Elijah isolates himself, and all of a sudden, the fears just kind of keep taking over, and they keep multiplying, because he has no one there to kind of speak truth or to speak reality back into his life. So it picks up, verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. I don't know about you. I love the fact that the Bible is so honest. I mean, every other sacred writing, it's like the hero is perfect. I mean, all the ones that are following, whatever, whatever, whatever religion you want to go with, it's like all the heroes in the story are perfect. They never struggle with anything. But do you realize that every single person that's, quote unquote, we think of them as the hero, really, God is the the centerpiece of the book. He's the main character. We're just kind of following through. We're the last people in the credits. But when you look at the, quote unquote, heroes, they're a bunch of losers, just like us. Bunch of jacked up weirdos that are missing the point, and they're making mistakes, and they're doubting, and they're depressed, and they're trying to figure this whole thing called life out. Aren't you thankful that God says, when I write something for my people, that they might know my heart and know the people who have walked with me, that he made sure that the people that penned it down were honest about it. So what if we mimic that? When he says, I am so depressed, I want to die. And I keep sitting there going, how did you get to that point? You have this mountaintop explosive experience. And the next day you're down in the dumps and you feel like you want to die. How do you get there? Because guys, I've just noticed as I've walked with Jesus, there's these times where there's these great victories. And just sitting there going, oh, what what a night. Like last night, what a night. And yet for maybe some of you, it's like you had this amazing breakthrough with God last night. And then today, sucked. And the first thing you start going, was it real? God, where are you at? I thought it was supposed to get better. I thought it was supposed to be perfect because I've always looked at all the Christians to say, if you have Jesus, it's all great. Guys, if you've experienced that, welcome to the family. Guys, there are so many times. I mean, if I'm honest with you, you know what I struggle with? Insecurity. That's mine. I mean, that's mine. Every camp I go to, even on the way up, I looked at my wife and says, I can do this, right? It's like I start to get a little nervous, and I'm like, oh, okay, what if this is that time? I turn, I don't know, mute. I can't say anything. Like, what, if, what if this is the time and nothing comes out that's right? Now, every time she has to say, you can do this. I have to be reminded that if God's opened the door, then he's not just going to shove you through and pull back. And I have this little thing that I do with God, and I don't know if you've ever seen it, because it's just kind of weird. It's like, what is he doing? It's like I'm on the side, I'm just praying. It's like, God, I want you to do something, do something. Not me, not, not my agenda, nothing. And then I feel like it's like this. When it's time to go, it's like, 
I hear, I hear this, go get them. And I say, go with me. And he responds, I already have. And then I do this whole little fist pump by myself. I don't do this. It's like, bam, and then I take off. It's like game time, you know? Athletes, you're in, you're in the tunnel ready to go out. I remember playing varsity basketball my senior year. We're sitting in the tunnel. This is it. This is it. Oh, whoa. we're all ready to go. We go out. We lose almost every game. We come back in, but we were jacked. <laughs> game time. So that's what I struggle with all the time. How often I hear, gosh, you're not a good pastor, you're not a good husband, you're not a good dad, you can't preach, no one listens to you. <laughs> Youth pastors, you, you know, when you, or whoever gets to preach in your church, you ever preach and there's that one kid that sleeps and the 99 aren't and the only one that you ever notice is the one and in your mind you start thinking, that's what all of them wish they could do, but they're being polite. But that kid's a punk. <laughs> he's just like, he's like, have these, you have these things going on in your mind. Guys, I can't tell you how often as I'm preaching, these thoughts are coming to my mind like, you're not impacting. Nothing's happening. Nothing's changing. They're not hearing. They don't care. It's all the time. So I, I'm there. I don't have it together. I feel like I fail so often, but the goal of it is what? When I fall, get back up because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth getting up for, just standing up and going another step. He's worth it. Can I just tell you, Christianity is not worth it. Jesus always is. You say, what's the difference? Guys, you can be Christian and have no relationship with Jesus. It's like any other religion on the planet. It's not a surrendered life to him. It's not a love affair with the creator. It's just do this, do this, I feel better, I'm moral, vote like me, think like me, do all these things like me, but look, nothing like Jesus. It's not Christ that you're following. It's Christianity. So Christ without, Christianity without Christ is just eanity. It doesn't make any sense. But Jesus... He's worth it. Students, Jesus is worth it. Counselors and youth pastors, when you're sitting there going, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. Or that kid, you know, that kid, just starting to drain on you. And you're going, oh, I feel like I'm not making an impact. Jesus is worth it. You like staff? You're sitting there going, okay, I've got all these problems I have to deal with and all these things behind the scenes and man, I'm exhausted. Jesus is worth it. So you look at Elijah and I go, gosh, how did you get there? The same way I get there. Mountaintop experience. The day after, I'm serious, every Thursday night I'm preaching back at our church and Fridays I'm like a walking zombie. I just, I'm exhausted, I'm angry, I'm bitter. It's because I've spent it all on a Thursday night trying to get people to understand Jesus and Friday's like a recovery day, but I don't feel great about it. So I'm there, I get it, I understand it. But aren't you thankful that God wrote a book of all the quote unquote heroes that you can relate with? Where he has this amazing encounter, this amazing thing that happens that's a God thing, and the next day, he's terrified. But it's, here's the thing. We can just sit there and go, okay, so he's terrified so I can stay there. Oh, no. No, 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 no. No, but I like it. I get more attention when people know that I'm scared of everything. Like I'm the drama king, drama queen of the youth group. 
And people notice me more when I do that. Aren't you supposed to show the victory in Jesus? Aren't you supposed to show the life change that he gives to you rather than to take all the attention away from him? Guys, that's what we're supposed to be striving for. That Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth getting up and moving forward with in verse five. Now this is what he does. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. I love that commandment. Eat. You're like, heck yeah. I can do that. But have you ever been so bummed out you don't eat? So here comes the angel. And I'm like, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. No, give me more gravy. That's what I say when I'm depressed. Give me gravy. I mean, that's kind of how it is. No, he says, hey, get up. Get up and eat. And I love how practical God is. Because how many of you made a stupid decision when you were tired or hungry? And you're like, oh, shoot, is he reading my mail? What the heck? How do you know that? Here's a practical thing, and I think it, I think it makes sense here. I think this is why the angel does it for Elijah. He's like, hey, hey dude, get up and eat. I'll let you nap. Take a nap. Love it. Get rested. Now get up and eat. Here's something practical. If you're freaking out about something on Wednesday, you're just terrified. You're going to bed. It's like, I can't get on my own. I'm terrified. I'm terrified. Go to sleep. Okay? Conk out. Next morning, get up, have some breakfast. Things might look a lot different after you do that. That's just practical. You sit there and go, I'm not a Christian. Well, just do that. I'm not saying surrender your life to Jesus so that you can eat and sleep. You can eat and sleep without Jesus. I'm just saying be practical. If you're terrified, <laughs> terrified of something, go to bed, wake up, have some breakfast, and you might actually see something different. It might not be as overwhelming as it was the night before. And I think that that's all that God is doing because he knows how we're wired. Verse six, and he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. Nap time. Oh God, I'm going to just be sweet, honest here. Don't you just love a good nap? That's what I'm talking about. People are like, this is, okay, this is church now. I'm into this. <laughs> you like staff in the back is like, what the heck is that? I don't even know what that is. I've never slept. I've known to sleep all summer. No, not a nap. Have you ever had one of those naps where you, you went to sleep? Well, that's how it always works, but let me finish. Okay. <laughs> don't jump ahead. Let me finish. Go to sleep, but when you wake up, you don't know what time it is, and you start to freak out. Yes. Yeah. So you kind of go, has it been all week? How long has it been? Or you go to sleep in the afternoon and when you wake up, you think it's the next day and it's really been 20 minutes. You're like, oh my gosh, I missed nothing. (laughs) I'm serious. But I'm telling you, but isn't that nap amazing? It's been 20 minutes, but it feels like it's 14 years. And you're just like, thank you, Jesus, for sleep. Because isn't sleep amazing? Oh, okay. I do this a lot, but... You know what, this has nothing to do with the message. I just want to talk about it because it's a God's gift thing. When it's cold outside, you have to use a blanket. Now, when it's hot, you're like, that sucks. Because if I sweat like this, imagine when it's hot. I'm drowning myself. I'm like, I'm wearing a life preserver the whole time walking around just for my sweat. Okay, so when you you get that blanket up and you're just like, you just start the wiggle, right? It's like, where is that? Where is it? 
There it is. Whoop, there it is. Okay, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't think that's appropriate. Okay, so they got that. And then how many of that moment you try to pray? It's like, I love to talk to God in bed. So I just get in my spot. I'm comfortable. God, here we go. Dear Jesus, thank you for my bed and thank you for my friends and... <laughs> And then 12 hours later, you wake up and go, amen. <laughs> amen. <laughs> and, your, and your friends are like, hey, what'd you do last night? I prayed all night. I prayed all night. <laughs> you, you've named your bed the word. I prayed and I was in the word all night. All night. All night. Where in the heck were we? I got it. Okay. Verse 7. Okay. I might be too close to time. Here we go. Verse, uh, verse 7. So he goes to back to sleep. Verse 7. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. And you're like, This is awesome. Arise and eat. But then he gives them the reason. For the journey is too great for you. Arise and eat. For the journey is too great for you. Arise and eat. For the journey is too great for you. And I have never noticed that part until just now. Arise and eat. For the journey is too great for you. Friends, I am so thankful that God looked at Elijah, this, pro this prophet. We sit and go, I could never be like Elijah. He goes, hey, this journey is too great for you. So followers of Christ, can I just encourage you with something? This journey with Jesus is too great for you. You're like, what? I can do it. No, 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 you can't. And he never expected you to. Now he said, I'm going, oh, wait, so I don't have to live for him? No, no, you live by him. And you live with him. So you can live for him. He's the one who said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So you know, what he, you know who he sends? He sends the Holy Spirit who's God. To be in us, to lead, to guide, to convict, to encourage, to counsel. And we're to live in constant reliance upon the Holy Spirit. He's not asking you to figure it out and make it on your own. He's going, no, no, no. the journey's too great for you, so I'll come with you. And not only will I come with you, but I will empower you. And I will guide you. And I'll protect you. And we will go forward because I will be the one helping you. Why? The journey's too great for you. But with him... Oh, all things are possible. Remember? Impossible is his what? Playground. Oh, isn't that good? Impossible is his playground. It's weird. When God is as big as he is, rather than the God that we've made him out to be, we can actually live life without worrying. You're like, easier said than done. I know, I'm with you. But when he says, remember that part, do not be anxious about anything, he actually meant it. It's like, here comes God going, okay, Seriously? Think of all that I've done. I'm the one who said, let there be light, and boom, it happened. It's not like he said, ah, I got this idea. Seraphim, come here, what do you think? Maybe you can help me put it together. He's like, let there be light, and light began. 
Guys, he's the one who speaks everything. He's the one who keeps the universe going. He's the one who keeps us on earth from spinning. He keeps us from spinning off into space. He's in charge of everything. He lives outside of time, yet inside with us. He's lived out our tomorrow. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he cannot get enough of us. God the Father is absolutely wild and crazy about us, his kids. And that truth and his power and his sovereignty and his love and his grace and his mercy should put us to sleep at night and should chase fear out. Because when God is big, it's not like everything else is smaller. It's almost like everything else can be forgotten. And we just go with him. Guys, growing up with your dad as a cop, it's fun when you have go to go to work day with your dad. That's awesome. When I was ten, I think it's the first time I got to go to work with my dad when I was ten. And I thought, this is fantastic. I'm his partner. Like I'm gonna get in fights today. I might shoot someone today. I'm ten. I'm partner. So I, I say bye to my mom. Bye, mom. Going to work partner and then we drive off and we get there and dad's got all his stuff on and there I am t-shirt and jeans I don't need none of that stuff <laughs> partner <laughs> so I'm, I, he had this certain number they, they call the number he answers it and they call his number and they say hey, so much. bar fight and I'm like bar fight oh we're gonna get oh it's gonna get crazy we're gonna get to jack up some people we're gonna crack some skulls here I come, partner. See, so come and we're and we're going quick. That's it's, that's the best part. He's just driving. Right here's the shotgun. I'm like, I don't even know how to get that out, but it's gonna come. It's coming with me in the bar. Gets out of the car. He says, "Stay here." I'm like, "No, no, partner. I'm coming." I start to get. He says, "Stay here." Locks the door and shuts me in. I'm like, Par- partner. <laughs> partner. I'm like, no, 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 partner. <laughs> Just sitting there. So all of a sudden, my dad and his partner, not me, <laughs> some other dude trying to take my place. They come back with a new friend. He didn't like being with them, I guess. I guess they just got done wrestling. I didn't understand. I was 10. So they put him in the back of the car. He's, he's handcuffed, and he, as he shuts the door, he looks at me, stay here. And they run back in because there's more fighting. And so I'm sitting there. There is a cage, but the dude is breathing. It's like, <sighs> it sounds like this to a 10-year-old. <sighs> I'm going to eat you, little boy. I mean, it's like, <laughs> so he's all breathing on my neck, and I'm like, oh. I just picture X-Men, him coming through the cage and going, wake up. <laughs> so I'm just sitting there. <sighs> And dad comes back. They had another friend, put him in a different car. Gets, dad gets in the car. Then the dude starts to talk to me. Dad's in the car. I'm just sitting there. My dad just goes, don't you dare talk to my son. I was like, yeah! You want some of this? <laughs> dad, shoot him in the face. <laughs> I was ready. I could take him. <laughs> Partner. 
wasn't a partner. I was, <laughs> oh my gosh. I was nothing except his son. And I didn't need anything else. I could take on anyone in the city because I had dad. I wasn't a partner. Guys, God doesn't need you. He wants you. Are you his partner? No. He's dad. And he lets us play. He lets us be part of what he's doing. I love, i never seen that part. Seriously, until I'm up here talking, I was like, oh, just pops out. The journey is too great for you. Can I encourage you? The journey is too great for you. And God has never said, walk it alone. He said, let me walk with you. The whole way. In every part. Every celebration. Every victory. Every defeat. Every stumble. Every fall. He's saying the same thing. I am with you. I am with you. And he arose, verse 8, and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. He had this journey that he had to go with God to be part of. And maybe for some of you, you're on, you're on day 13, where God has had to get your attention and, and you're just feeling overwhelmed. And you're, and you're saying, God, do you care? God's like, you got... You got a few more days. You just have to keep walking. The journey's too great for you, but I'm telling you, at the end of it, you're going to see something different. But isn't it during this time of your life where if you're on day 13 of the journey and you're just sitting there with your thoughts and you're overwhelmed and terrified and you're wondering, God, where are you and why aren't you changing this and why am I facing this? And it just seems like there's no hope. And it seems like he forgot and it seems like he's so far and that when you pray, it just bounces off the ceiling and hits the floor. All of a sudden, our minds start to go to what? God, why don't you care? Why don't you care? God, if you're all powerful and you really cared, you wouldn't let this happen. Except, what if in his amazing sovereign ability, and his incredible divine wisdom, God understood that you definitely wouldn't be calling out to him the way that you are in this moment if he did not allow that thing to happen. You would be forgetting about him and moving away, sliding away, just kind of straying away, not even noticing. And God's sitting there going, I have to do this. Why? Because I want your heart, not just your behavior. But we always jump, God, don't you care? Why don't you care? Guys, I just want to close with this passage. It's out, of, it's out of Isaiah 40. And it starts in verse 27. You can turn there if you want, but don't feel like you have to. And I'll just read it and go through it. And, and then you guys are going to go with, on with your evening. And again, there'll be a time for you guys to stay back and to hang out and to just deal with things with God or to talk through things with people that are around you who love Jesus. And, but I love the fact that here in Isaiah, it's the same thing. It's like God is saying these words. He's like, okay, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, my right, and my right is disregarded by my God. It's like, why don't you care? It's like, God, why doesn't God notice what I'm going through? And God's saying, why do you say that? 
Like, why are you jumping to that as your conclusion? Why are you letting fear become so big that the only thing that you can focus on is it when I'm so much bigger and so much nearer? And then God breaks out. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Let that sink in for just a second. You know why you took one more step forward? Because God gave you the strength to do so. Again, the journey is too great for us, and so God gives us the strength that's necessary to continue to move forward when all that we want to do is just sit and just sit and wait and be terrified. And God's like, just one more step. I'm giving you everything you need for the step. Because I will strengthen you. I'm the one that does that. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But, uh, I've grown to love that word because it's always a change of perspective. Like you're just looking around going, everyone's collapsing and everything's, everything's out of control. But, here it is. They, bless you. But they who wait for the Lord shall, here's the promise. When you see the word shall or will, that's God's promise. He doesn't ever fail in a promise. I mean, even in the New Testament, I think it's Paul who writes that all the promises are yes in Christ. So when I look at this passage, go, God, can I do it? Will I have the strength? He's like, oh, you'll have the strength. Why? Because I'll renew your strength. Brian, you're exhausted now. Yeah, I'll give you enough strength for another one. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run, run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The reason we take one more step is because God has given us what we need in order to do so. But that word there, but they who wait for the Lord. Some of your translations might say, but those who hope in the Lord. That can be translated either way. But those who wait are those who hope. And a lot of times we think that waiting is passive, that we're just sitting there, we're just getting our teeth knocked in because we're waiting. We're not doing it, we're just sitting there. And guys, that's not what that word is. Guys, it takes more faith to wait on God than to go forward and ask him to fix what we messed up because we didn't wait. It takes so much faith, it takes so much strength it takes hope for us to wait. And the promise that God gives us is this, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And so guys, when you're just sitting there and life is just hammering against you and you're sitting there going, okay, God, where are you? Where are you? Your mind starts to go crazy and you're starting to believe your feelings. You go back to the truth of God, where God is saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so here's what we do. Instead of me sitting there going, oh, I'm just getting my teeth knocked in. I hope he comes. You sit there going, no, no, no. I don't care what happens. Come hell or high water, I will wait on the Lord because he is my salvation. 
guys, that doesn't sound like I'm getting my teeth knocked in. That sounds like I believe in a God who can knock some teeth in when it's time. I just have to wait. And we hate that word. We don't like to wait. Everything's instant, isn't it? Instant gratification. Companies are constantly, especially if it's like, like restaurants or Starbucks, they are constantly gauging how long is it taking from the time that they order to the time that they get their drink. Why? Because they have to go faster. Why? Because faster means better service and they're taking care of you. And so they're just going to keep pushing as quick as they can so that you don't have to wait. And here comes God going, I don't wear a wristwatch. I don't, I'm not added or share. You're not sharing your Google calendar with me. That when I surrendered my life to Christ, I might wear a watch so I don't miss an appointment, but God can interrupt my day and my schedule anytime he wants so that I accomplish his will. And when we learn to wait, you watch God renew. I promise you, he will renew your strength. Practically, Guys, get some sleep, have a meal, stay in community, and wait. And then when God says, go forward, go forward with him. Why with him? You remember? Because the journey is too great for you. And God knows it, and he never expected us to do it alone, ever. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. We wait because we actually believe that God will come through. Can I pray for you? Jesus, I wanna give you thanks. That in the midst of a message that I was supposed to be prepped for, you bring out another piece, a nugget. And I thank you for what you teach us. That the journey is too great for us to go it alone. And you provide what's necessary for us to take another step. Jesus, I pray that you would teach all of us, including myself, to lean in on your promises and to trust your word more than our feelings or our emotions. That God, even if I just speak for myself and those who can agree that my insecurities would not ever have the best of me. But all of us would live in the fact that if we are followers of you, that you tell us that we are a new creation, that the old has gone and the new has come, that God, we, your gentlemen, are sons of God. And God, these young ladies are daughters of the king. God, may that affect everything that we do, everything that we think, and everything that we see in the mirror. May we know that our value is based upon the one who knit us together in our mama's womb, not how we compare with anyone else. That we are beyond value, and the cross is the constant reminder that we are worth it. So God, I pray 
we would hear you. Even if it's in the whisper, we would hear you. And that your whisper would drown out the shouts of fear. God, may we not live, may we not live in the urgency of fear, but in the peace that comes with knowing you. So God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. I thank you for my friends. And that we get to walk through this journey together. You've never expected us to go it alone. That we have each other, but the best thing is we got you. And God, I thank you that dad changes everything. So God, in all that you've done and all you'll continue to do, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you know.